0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the A Real Film Podcast. My name's Phil, I'm joined by Corey. Hello. <laughs> um, and in today's episode we're going to continue our adaptation of our best of the 2010, the best of the decade into you know this audible podcast um, by talking about the honourable mention. So if you missed it already, we covered uh our 20 best films of the desk decade split it into um two lots of 10 and now we're just going to talk about um the films that we missed off you know just the decade as a whole because there's some really great stuff that come out of it and then at the end we're gonna sort of revisit um our list and talk about if we you know any films that we've seen since then that could have made it in um just have a little natter about you know the list as a whole now it's i mean it's been what a year since we wrote it
1: Nearly. I think it's been a year, yeah. I think yeah.
0: it's about November last year, November 2019. I think we wrote it so. Um, so I mean, just before we start recording, the thing we said to each other that the 2010s has been the year of the comic book film, really, hasn't it? Disney came back with Marvel and made Avengers, and just all the MCU films have just completely taken over the decade. There's been some really great other or some good other, um. Uh, franchises in the decade too but the mcu has completely dominated the box office really hasn't it
1: yeah definitely i mean you think start of the decade even you know that's when the harry potter franchise finished and then it's you know becomes a decade dedicated to basically disney um but yeah i mean uh marvel i think obviously starting that started that uh sort of cinematic universe thing and they're by far the best at it I mean I know that DC as well have taken over but I think it's been dominated but I think a lot of the films are obviously very hit and miss I
0: believe yes yes I mean there are some good ones I mean you look at the top 10 um, of the highest grossing films in the decade number one is obviously Endgame because Endgame's now become um, the highest-grossing film of all time, surpassing Avatar. Number three is Infinity War. Where would you rank? What do you think of Endgame and Infinity War? Do you prefer one to the other? Because they kind of need each other. But
1: do yeah, you... that's true. I think I think I would. Endgame is great because it's the end. If that makes sense, like it's mm. a fantastic ending to this journey that they've been on for you know ten, eleven years. But I think. What Infinity War did—that sort of going off what the first Avengers did as balancing all these characters—I would personally say Infinity War's better.
0: I—I hmm. I don't know. I always disagree a little bit just because I think in Endgame is the sort of conclusion of you know this twenty-two film saga or whatever it was. You know this this whole list of films. It was it was pulling all that to an end and then starting a new. Um, sort of a new phase from then onwards i feel like infinity war relies too much on end game you can't just watch infinity war and then that be that do you know what i mean like it is half a film to me infinity war is half a film to me it's like it's like episode nine of a 10 episode tv series you can't just stop there and and that's just my opinion i i came out of the cinema thinking i kind of wish i just waited until the next film and then i'll watch this and then watch the next one i was a bit disappointed if i was perfectly honest
1: yeah i'd see where you're coming from i think they do well enough for me personally just to keep it hmm. uh and I, I understand what you mean like it does depend on endgame and it makes you immediately want to watch endgame afterwards hmm. but uh i still enjoyed it like as a single film as well i know hmm. the ending is a bit sad but i think it has that shock factor as well i think you know it's uh are films with a formula
0: Mm, and yeah
1: they've spent 10 years uh basically following this formula and then at the end to have Thanos snap his fingers and we obviously know that's not how it's the whole the main story is going to end but it's just nice to you know see that kind of ending in, in a film in a Marvel film I guess but mm. I do see your point completely yeah
0: you do have the other two avengers films in here and I think the first one from 2012 the Joss Whedon one um I think that's the best one I think it's the most like, effortless one. It's just so fun throughout all. Like, I know a lot of you... You almost always go to the last sort of hour, 40 minutes. I think most people do, you know, when um, uh, Loki brings that alien army onto Earth and then you have this really great sort of battle sequence for ages. But I I know that that's the bit that people always go to first, but I think the rest of the film is fun. Um, I think it's the best one. I think the other one that's on here that's actually... Bizarrely, the ninth highest grossing film of the 2010s, Age of Ultron, which is, I bloody, I hate Ultron. <laughs> I think it's such a rubbish film. It's in the bottom two. It's this, the second worst MCU film for me after Thor The Dark
1: World. Uh, I wouldn't say I, I hated it when I first watched it. I think the problem is it's just like a hollow shell of what the first film was to me. It was just that that effortlessness that the first one has. It feels so forced in Ultron. The only thing that saves it for me is because uh, James Spader plays Ultron, but that's just because I like him. That's <laughs> yeah, pretty that's much good. the only thing that saves that, really. Uh, but no, I think it, my least two favorite. I've always said that I really don't like Iron Man two as well. Mm. But uh, I mean, I speaking can of, that completely, you yeah. know, we we can talk about MCU for a long time because there's just so many of them. Uh, mm. But also, you know, revitalizing Star Wars as well.
0: Absolutely. Obviously Force Awakens was the second highest grossing film. Um it it did it's a problematic trilogy, I think, because it's it is. it's so clear that they had no plan going into it, in my opinion. So like I'm not a fan of the prequel trilogy at all. I think they're all three of them are the worst three Star Wars films. Um I think they're all pretty bad. But you could see what that Lucas knew that he was going to make a trilogy and he has a coherent story throughout. Like You can see the steps he was making for all three films together. I think with this trilogy, it's so clear that they were like, okay, one director is going to do the first film, another director is going to do the second film. They were supposed to have a third director do the last film, but then decided to bring the first director back again. And I think all of that becomes so obvious because it becomes so muddled. Like, all these storylines, they just don't, it doesn't feel like, like, the the ending feels like that was what was planned from the start. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, what I think it is, is that they caved to uh, the fandom. Mm. And to be honest, I think that's something that George Lucas never really did with his prequel. So i give him props to that. He just made, he knew the story he wanted to tell and he did. And you're right, it was... A coherent story. They're not good films, but <laughs> no. it was coherent. But yeah, I think it. You know, Force Awakens is a film that was a crowd pleaser, but it was a good crowd pleaser. Yeah. Uh, it got, you know, younger fans like kids back into Star Wars with new characters, but then it was also, you know, it got uh, older Star Wars fans back into this uh, into the world. And then Last Jedi, uh, Ryan Johnson took some risks, and they paid off, I think. I think it was a fantastic film. But then the third one ugh, infuriates <laughs> me so much. It's. It, I just hated it. It was just such fan service, and I hated yeah, it.
0: But in the worst possible way. As you say, Force Awakens. I think Force Awakens is a very, very similar story to A New Hope. I don't necessarily think that has to be a bad thing. You know, it's it's a no, pretty it it's pretty pretty familiar ground there they're touching on. But A New Hope is not exactly original story. You know, it's a pretty um safe, you know, folktale esque story in the way that it's told. You know, these are they're pretty um I don't say paint by numbers, but this it's it's not um as original as, you know, other films in the um in the sort of Star Wars universe. But I think Force Awakens is the most effortlessly sort of easy one to watch. I think it's so fun. Um it's not I just I agree with what you say, you know, um Rise of Skywalker, that's the third one, isn't it? Yeah. Pants, absolutely pants. I think as you say it's just pants. complete it just completely just falls to the fan service, the whole Rey and uh, fucking what's Adam Driver's character called? Uh, Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren, yeah, Ray and Kylo kissing, all stuff like that. What was that about? Rubbish, absolutely
1: rubbish. rubbish. <laughs> Unfortunately, honest, they Sorry. they set up, you know, Ray and Finn, as mm. the, like two of the main characters at the end of this trilogy. They just didn't know what they were doing with Finn.
0: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. literally
1: just had no place in that film at all.
0: Mm. Well, I think that that trilogy was a bit hit and miss. It did still have its high points. I think one franchise that's been brought back to life that I don't think is good in any way is Jurassic World. So we've only I believe we've only had the two in this we haven't had the third one yet
1: have we? No I don't Um, think so
0: no. I I've I've seen Jurassic World once and I've seen Fallen Kingdom once. Um and I mean Jurassic World I don't like. I think it's pretty pretty rubbish but Fallen Kingdom is a terrible film. It's a terrible film. it's one of my least favorite of the decade I'd say um and unfortunately they just made absolute bank and it just it just completely shits all over the the original Jurassic Park as well I mean in even in the original trilogy obviously the first film is great two and three you could argue about if their merits but you know I think most of them are fairly redeemable whereas I don't think either of these two are I think they're both absolutely crap.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think I'm the same as you. I think I've watched both of them once. Mm. Uh, I do remember uh, when I, f- when, Fallen Kingdom first came out on DVD, I was working in HMV, and uh, everyone was coming in asking me about it. And obviously, you know, the go-to re- retail thing is that you always push a product, but mm. <laughs> I just couldn't physically do it. <laughs> <can't bring> <laughs> it was. It's it. just. It's just so crap. And also, like, I love Chris Pratt. Mm. But like he's so much better when he's when he's got humour involved. That's why he's so good in Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. But here, the humour's just crap, and he <laughs> it's, even, he it's just he, yeah he just can't he just can't save it, and then mm. he's just left as this sort of like by the numbers leading action man, and it just. I don't know everything about it. Just I hated. I thought it was pants. Could use that yes. word again, pants. Yeah,
0: I think pants is a good way to describe it. From one rubbish franchise to the next, you've got the Fast and Furious films. You had Ugh. Fate the Furious in 2017. You had Furious Seven in 2015. Ah, is Fate Fate and the Furious the one that was in 2017? Is that the one that Paul Walker? It was that his last one, or was Furious Seven? his last one
1: furious seven was his last one
0: yeah because that's the one that's ma- furious seven is the one that's made more money so I that yeah re-
1: that's that's the one yeah
0: yeah I thought so rubbish all rubbish I mean the f- Fast of Furious films have never been good but I don't think at least but they've been guilty pleasures I think it's got to the point now where they're just ru- <laughs> pants shockingly they're just pants, pants. yeah um oh, I, do, did- I will
1: say sorry I will say that I don't mind Fast Five, which I think came out in like 2011. Mm. I don't mind that uh, just because it's when the, the Rock first came into it and it, it is a lot of fun to watch, but like you said, that kind of easy watching uh, escapism of it all, it just in the other films, it's just it's pants. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they try to bring in new villains. People like, I know John Cena's in the, the latest one, I believe. Was it? Um, I know Charlize Theron's in them but i just <laughs> can't stand them i just no. can't stand them
0: I, t- I tell you one franchise that's kind of shocked me i mean it's but be- it's become a franchise now that shocked me and how good it is i'm going to use it to segue from the rock being in the far series is jumanji jumanji welcome to the jungle had absolutely no right in being as good as it is i mean i shouldn't say good but enjoyable as it is it's just silly. It's so much silly fun, in my opinion, at least. I think when people say that they want to go to the cinema to switch off their brain to nonsense, and they go and watch a Transformers film or a Fast and Furious film, I I just say go watch something like Jumanji. You can go and switch your brain off to it, but it's just good watching too, at least in my opinion. I don't know if you no,
1: I hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, I remember. I've always. Sort of been quite quick to write off films like this, you know, to just remakes that seem to come out of nowhere and <laughs> don't really have any merit. But this one was, uh, I did enjoy it, and I enjoyed the second one as well, like just yeah. as much. Yeah, I really liked um, the second I one. I think, I think Kevin Hart and obviously The Rock, are, you know, they've got great chemistry. Uh, Jack Black was just perfect. Yeah, in again. the first one,
0: <laughs> and absolutely no right being as good as he is playing the like seventeen-year-old um, high school girl. Yeah absolutely no right being that good. We also had a couple of um James Bond films. So I the first one would have been Skyfall in 2012 and then we had Spectre in 2015. Uh do we have any more after that? I can't remember.
1: No, uh, the next one is obviously was meant to be this year, but it's now next year, isn't it? Yeah, so. I thought so.
0: I thought so. There's a bigger gap between those. It's strange, isn't it? Because James Bond is obviously one of these big yeah. franchises. They make lots of money. These films, most of them, make close to a billion um, or over a billion in in Skyfall's fa- uh, um, sort of favour. But um, they go four, five, six years between these films sometimes, which is. I think it usually works. I think if you if you had these films coming out every year or every couple of years, you burn out on them quickly. I mean, I do anyway. I think Spectre has some really good moments, but I think in general I was pretty bored for most of it. He has a really great opening scene, but I think it, it sort of falls to... I th- I feel like James Bond has this problem problem every few films that it gets in a bit of a rut where they end up sort of like becoming a bit paint by numbers and then people get a bit bored and they have to sort of revitalize it again um and i feel like that's kind of what happened um recently i, d- I don't know if how obviously we haven't seen the most recent one yet what was called no time to die yeah i feel like it's going to do one of two things it's either going to kick some life back into the franchise or it's going to be pretty shit <laughs> i think that's the way it could go basically
1: yeah, yeah, I agree as well. I think it's got good enough people on it for it to be good. Um, the biggest problem I had respect to when I first watched it was that Daniel Craig just he looks so uninterested. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he just looked like he wasn't having a good time. whereas Skyfall is much better. Mm. Um, it's a really yeah, good film. Really good. What you were saying about this, like, you know, they're taking quite long breaks, I don't know if that's uh because they're trying to put a bit more time into it, is you know, you think Casino Royale we've, uh, came out in two thousand six and then Quantum of Solace came out in two thousand eight, and I hate that. Maybe <laughs> they felt like that rush is just isn't good. So hmm. hopefully, No Time to Die. You know, was it being like five years since uh, Spectre? Hopefully, that'll be good.
0: Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I, I'm holding out for it. Um, I mean, I don't want to keep rattling on on the on the rubbish sort of franchises, but we also did have the the Hobbit trilogy, which was a huge disappointment. I'm assuming to both of us because I know both of us are really really big Lord of the Rings fans not just in terms of the films being great but they're super nostalgic for us Um, and I went into an unexpected journey with really high hopes because I love the Hobbit book you know Peter Jackson did wonders with the Lord of the Rings trilogy I was a little bit worried with it uh, being a trilogy but I thought you know what if anyone can do it well I thought Jackson could um, and I think what I expected to happen happened where they're all really long drawn out and the story is just not built for that it throws in all these characters that weren't in the books and it brings back Legolas and you know a few other people for the sake of bringing them back and there's no real reason for them to be there um, yeah I think as there's there's moments in the trilogy that I think are really really great I think Unexpected Journey is the best one and I think Martin Freeman is a really great as Bilbo in it but I think on the whole I don't think it's a particularly good trilogy
1: no I agree I I didn't mind the first one but I think as a whole uh it's just too long and I think the as a trilogy it has these really good moments where they're fun but it just doesn't feel like uh it it just feels unnecessary whereas you know the original Lord of the Rings trilogy felt necessary
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I've just seen one on here. This is in the top 50 highest grossing films in 2018. This makes me so sad. Bohemian Rhapsody made just over $900 million, which makes me very sad because that is a piece of shit. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I really like Remy Malik in it. I think he's a great performance, but I literally don't think anything else about the film is good. Other than maybe, I mean, you can start picking out like how they do, the Queen songs, you know, how because I don't know if you're aware about how they did most of the songs where they actually used um, a Freddie Mercury impersonator for quite a lot of them, oh, okay? So they could sort of make the audio a bit clearer and sync it to Remy Malik's performance better, um, because then that way they had a bit more control over it. Because obviously, when you get an old recording like that through, you're not going to have as much control over specifically freddie's voice and stuff like that so a lot of the performances were actually a um impersonator singing him um i didn't know that which is i thought it was really really interesting um i actually the only reason i know it is because i looked up there's a bit in the film where he's playing the piano and singing a song i can't remember which one it is um but i was thinking how did they get freddie's voice in there surely there had to there has to be
1: yeah uh
0: and I so I looked it up and yeah it's an impersonator which is I think pretty incredible but I I think it's yeah I do not like it at all I think it's
1: pretty is it that bit when he's uh, singing Love of My Life
0: I think so yeah I can't remember all i remember is is that he's playing a song on the piano and it's just the piano and his voice but obviously the song as as a whole um, you know has all these rest of the pieces and I wondered how they got his voice from there but
1: yeah, yeah, well, well try. obviously, it's, it's the movie that's now, obviously, spawned the next trend for, um, I think, for the next few years, is these music biopics. I know there's always been music biopics, but it's just put them into a more mainstream place, I think, and mm. I don't like Bohemian Rhapsody. I don't mind the music biopic, so I hope that it that spawns better ones, you know? i I know that uh, David Bowie one's coming soon, and they've got Aretha Franklin one. Yeah, uh, they've got a lot of them in the works. So I do hope it does spawn, but yeah, as a film, it's not great at all.
0: What is the Rocket Man? I actually liked Rocket Man. Um, I think it's better than *Beating Rhapsody*. I don't think it's necessarily a really great film. I think it's uh, got a really great central performance. I think it's a lot more fun and a lot more, a lot more sort of coherent as a film it's a better film on the whole. Um, so fingers crossed that other films can sort of at least be better than the <laughs> Rhapsody. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm just trying to think of, um, so we've got a few other films here that we could sort of just quickly go. over. you obviously had the car- uh, sort of the continuation of the Pirates of the Caribbean um, series? None of the, in my opinion, none of the films have been good since the first one. I enjoy the first one. I think the rest of them are rubbish. Um, yeah. nothing to say there you had dark knight rises in 2012 um the worst of the dark knight trilogy
1: (laughs) it is the worst but it's still good i think
0: it's alright. i'm i'm not particularly high on it i don't it's not a bad film but i don't don't like it very much um on the flip side you did have toy story three and four uh which are both really great I think Toy Story 4 is probably the best, most unnecessary film there's been. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Toy yeah, Story 3 wrapped definitely. up the trilogy perfectly. You didn't need a fourth. I heard there was a fourth. I was like, this is going to be a crap money grab. And then I went in and watched it, and I was like, that was really great. I really loved that. I had a great time. Don't know why they made it, but it was really great. Well, I know why they made it, because yeah. they made a billion dollars. That's why they made it.
1: <laughs> but, I mean, you're kind, of, you're kind of watching it thinking, just why? But I'm yeah. also so into this. And obviously... Yeah. Talking about Disney again, you know this has been a decade where they've just unnecessarily been remaking their animated classics, and I despise all of them. Yes, I think I think actually I've written a review on every single one they've done, and I've said in every single review, I was like they are yet to uh, they are yet to give a relevance to what they're doing, and there's just no originality in them they try and cast them as best as they can. And usually it's got a good cast, but it just doesn't save it. And, you know, what is this? Cinderella, Dumbo, Beauty and the Beast. Obviously Mulan was this year. Oh, crap. Um, Jungle Book.
0: <laughs> um, Jungle Book, yeah. Oh, I'm trying to think what, Aladdin. Is yeah. Alice, Alice in Wonderland? That was this decade.
1: Yeah, um, 2010. and then uh, Beauty and the Beast, did indeed. you mention that? I did, yeah. I, I'm sure there is more. Yeah, uh, I, t- I
0: can't think. Of They're all crap, though. You're right. They're yeah. all crap. I mean, as you say, they got great casts. They usually have a pretty good director attached. I mean, Jungle Book was John Favreau, and I think John Favreau has done some oh, really great King, films. Oh, Lion King, of
1: course, as well. Oh yeah, did he? He did. Sorry to interrupt you, then. Sorry. No, that's all right. He did
0: Lion King <laughs> as well, though, didn't he?
1: Yeah. Or did he that's just also... do
0: Lion King and not Jungle Book? I can't remember.
1: No, he did both. Yeah.
0: I think he's. I think he's. Disney have got him as a bit of a go-to guy at the moment because he obviously did Iron Man and he's been in the sort of um, Marvel circuit for a while. I feel like he's a guy that they can rely on that will make the film that they want him to make, but make it well. I don't like Lion King and I don't like Jungle Book, but they're probably the best uh, live action remakes, in my opinion. And they're still well made. They're not good films, but they're like... It's it's not like um, Mulan or Aladdin. I don't think they're well made films at all. I think they're pretty badly made in comparison. Um, but I think John Favreau is a bit of a. It's a bit like Ron Howard, isn't he? Because Ron Howard came back and did what film? Which what, what Star Wars film was it that he had to come back and finish off um, the Solo.
1: Rogue film. One was it? No. It was solo. Oh, Solo, yeah.
0: Yeah, because um, it was Lord Miller who was doing Solo, wasn't it? Hmm and then they brought Ron Howard in. He's another one of those guys that can do some really great films, but I feel like studios can be like, if we bring him in, that he might not make an Oscar winner, but he will make a coherent film (laughs) that will make us Mm. money. Unfortunately, I don't think it made, it didn't make that much money though, did it? Uh, Yeah, I think it made about five or 600 million, which when you bring in marketing costs, I don't think it broke even. So it just, (laughs) it might have lost the money.
1: Yeah, I think I read the, uh, like that was them sort of cutting off a little bit the sort of uh, spin off uh, stories from the main uh, universe, just because that one obviously didn't make money. Yeah. And if you're not making money off a Han Solo film, you're probably not going to make money off uh, any other characters, to be honest. Well, they were going to do
0: a um, uh, quite, um, I was going to say, quite gon chin, Obi Wan film, weren't they? They were going to do an Obi Wan film.
1: Yeah, I think um, now they're doing a TV show.
0: Yeah, I'm still excited. Well, because I mean, I think after the success of The Mandalorian, um, they are pretty keen on doing more TV shows for Disney Plus. I don't know if you're aware, there was a headline that came out recently that says Mandalorian is the most watched thing on Disney Plus by five times. I mean, speaking of Star Wars, again, probably the best out of this new all these new age Star Wars films has got to be Rogue One. I don't. Th- I. I mean, I really like. Um, Ryan Johnson Star Wars film. But I think Rogue One's a better film.
1: I don't, I mean I don't know if it's a better film. I definitely enjoyed Rogue One. I know it got a lot of hate from. I don't know why. I'm a part of this group, but I am a part of like a Star Wars fan group. Because <laughs> I'm not a, a Star nerd. Wars like. I'm <laughs> I'm not like a super fan. I just thought it. I just joined it, and then you know all it is is them like, you know attacking every movie that's then made. Uh, mm. But yeah, they hate Rogue One, and I I thought it was a pretty good film.
0: Yeah, no, I really liked it. I think the reason why I'd say it's better than Ryan Johnson's one is Ryan Johnson's one has that B story of Finn and the girl whose name I can't remember, who's like a weird love interest, where they go off to the casino planet or whatever it is, and it's like half an hour of the runtime. It's I it might even be over yeah. thirty minutes of the runtime, and it's so pointless. It doesn't add anything to the story. Um, yeah, I feel like I don't know if that was Ryan Johnson's doing, or if it was the studio. In my heart, I I'm, I'm believing, like I'm choosing to believe that it was the studio saying, Ryan, you need more runtime in this. Write something that you know pads the runtime because you know a lot of Ryan Johnson's films are really really great. Uh, we'll get to one of the one of his uh, from the decade later, but um, mm. yeah, I really like Rogue One. I think it's consistently good. It has the best Darth Vader scene of all time. Um, which uh, I know is saying a lot because the the original trilogy has um, some really great moments, but the scene where Vader comes onto the ship and he just starts massacring those Uh, soldiers is so good. It's so good. And I mean, it just elevates the rest of the film. I would, I'd say watch the film as a whole for sure, but that scene is so good. Um, Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. it It just makes him look so scary i feel like it's got to the point now where he's so ingrained in pop culture that he's not a scary villain um, but i think that made him terrifying definitely so should we move on to the actual good films of the decade now <laughs> i mean there's yeah. been some good ones in there but should we move on to the stuff that we really liked from the decade
1: yeah sure just to you know give some clarification the uh, article we we did write the top 20 when we did write it about a year ago we decided that it's been such a good decade that we we couldn't not like write an honorable mentions list (laughs) and so essentially that's what we're going to be going off here and there's a lot of films but it's just such a good decade i mean it's hard to argue with it to be honest
0: so we'll we'll start with one that I think um, a lot of people may consider uh, a glaring omission, but no, nah, I have my reasons why it's not on the list, which is Inception from two thousand and ten. Um, now Nolan's had some really good films in this decade. I don't even Inception's probably his best one, uh, but he's had some you know some really good films in this decade.
1: It's the beauty of it is that it for me it's very expositional but part of the charm of and the entertainment of its movie is the fact that it is expositional um but uh yeah i just i don't really know why i didn't put it in but i just in my opinion it's it was nowhere close in no, honest
0: no no neither for me i think it's a really really great blockbuster that's what i was going to the reason why i didn't put it in my 20 well so when when we made it we both came up with a list of 20 and then we came together to make um, you know, the the sort of collective uh, 20 between us. Neither of us put it on there. And I think for me, it was because it's a, um, it's a really, really good blockbuster. Like Nolan makes these really, really great blockbusters, but I don't think he's made a great film that surpasses the blockbuster sort of um, moniker. Do you know what I mean? So things like the prestige is it's a blockbuster but for me it's so much more than that and i think stuff like inception is really great and it brings these really great ideas in there but i think it's putting entertainment first um whereas something like the prestige i think is putting the art first i know that's a really pretentious way of putting it but i think that's the best i think that's the easiest way of saying it in my mind at least
1: I do agree. Yeah, uh, Inception is one of the best blockbusters of the decade. Absolutely. But it, you're right. It, there's no. There's no depth outside of, the popcorn entertainment, and it's a very intelligent popcorn entertainment. Don't get me wrong. It's very creative Absolutely. and it's got Absolutely. very big ideas, but there's no depth to mm. you know really. Anything else.
0: I think another film from 2010 that I re- that you talk about entertainment Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is so much fun to watch. It's Edgar Wright you know going on all cylinders it's probably his most unique film i mean he's made some really great films but i don't think he's ever made a film that comes close to the sort of um brash uniqueness that this has where it's like literally bringing the pages of a comic book to life you know you talk about comic book films and the mcu and uh, dc films but they don't do this they don't make the film feel like a live comic uh which i think he does excellently
1: yeah there's I think there's not a lot of comic book movies that do that I mean Sin City is mm. one uh, but scott I love it I love Scott Pilgrim the best of the world it's so entertaining mm. and it's, it's so got, funny as well
0: it's got so many great people in it as well hasn't it it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's got it's got Superman and it's got uh, Captain America in it hasn't it
1: yeah uh, another one from 2010 was uh, The Social Network directed by David Fincher written by Aaron Sorkin the movie about Mark Zuckerberg and I know later on in this podcast I will want to talk more about Social Network but and I imagine a lot of people would like to think this is on the list but uh, it's just such a wonderful script that's matched by fantastic performances and and it's a very sort of unexpected film I think. A film about Facebook and its beginnings. It's a uh, it's a very interesting look into the man that created it. I think David Fincher still is still going as one of the best directors, and this is fantastic. I think
0: absolutely. i um, I mean, we might as well just. We're going to talk about it more later. So I'll just. I totally agree. Fantastic, fantastic performances. You know, in our uh, earlier podcasts, we talked about how um, 2010s was the decade of Ryan Gosling, and I think 2010 with Blue Valentine. What an amazing performance from him.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, it's such a beautiful movie, and you know has my wife in it, so <laughs> I can't complain. Michelle, uh, Michelle, if you're listening, you know you're great. <laughs> uh, um, no, it's such a it's such a heartbreaking movie, though. It's but it's so beautiful.
0: We included Place Beyond the Pines instead. I think we both uh, agreed that although Blue Valentine hits us emotionally better, I think Place Beyond the Pines is a better film. Um, but they are t- they're, they're different. They're so different. They're both wonderful, though um we didn't include that many action films on our list but the warrior is really great a very different action film isn't it you know covering the sort of um brotherly mma fighting side that you don't often get a good film out of
1: yeah well i mean even like mma anyway you don't really see many films about that because a lot of films like that i think it goes like with everything in like the sport genre is that they sometimes they can just be really crap but Warriors great uh I haven't watched it in a very long time, I will admit, uh, but it was for for a while. It was one of my favourite films, definitely. I
0: I can completely understand that. I think is really really good watch. Um, raid Redemption, which is the first raid, is amazing. I think we spoke about it in one of our uh, podcasts that we actually chose something like Mad Max over the top of it because Fury Road sort of um, manages to sort of talk about. Other issues throughout. It's not just really, really great action, and it's. I mean, they're both super original in their action, but *Rave Redemption* is just amazing. People just beating ass. You know, they're just kicking ass. That's all they're doing. Kicking ass.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's basically got some of the best uh, choreography of uh, hand-to-hand combat. Absolutely. Uh, I know that might be controversial to all the Jackie Chan fans out there, but <laughs> it is. It's just this is it's a different breed of martial arts film. It's fantastic. Completely. Another one from twenty eleven is Another Earth, um, where they discover that the, there is another Earth. That's, that's pretty <laughs> self-explanatory, but uh, it's much more um, personal than that. I think it's it's very intimate between two people, and uh, just and that idea of the other Earth is lurking in the background. This idea that there's another parallel world and about the choices we make. Um, I I was really moved by it. I can see why people might not like it. I was really moved by it. Hmm. Um, another one uh, that we both love, I know for a fact, is uh, Drive.
0: Decade of Ryan Gosling. I told you, it's the decade <laughs> of Ryan Gosling.
1: <laughs> what a soundtrack as well.
0: Oh my God. I live and breathe this soundtrack. It's so good. It's not just the sound though, when you think about it. Visually, it's so striking. The blues and the purples and things like that. They have this gorgeous sort of... Um, it's almost like the um futuristic elements of something like blade runner but in like a grounded realistic um it's, it's there's moments of action in this but it's not an action film is it you know it has these no. really really it's a brutal and violent film but they are few and far between these scenes which i think makes those scenes hit a lot harder when they actually do
1: yeah definitely i mean I mean, like you said, it's uh, it's also the decade of Ryan Gosling. Like he, he's made so many great films, but I love Drive because it's got that sort of like eighties neon style to it, mm. and uh, it's just a really stylish, but you know, it's not style over substance at all. There's some fantastic things in it. Absolutely. Um, and another one from 2011 by one of the most controversial directors ever, Lars von Trier, was Melancholia. Um, really interesting film, and I know you really like this film.
0: Yeah, big fan. I'm really, really like this film. I think the things that sort of the issues that it um, handles is really interesting. Um, It's pretty fucking depressing. um, Which actually, I think when a depressing film is like like this is done well, um, I don't know why. I just really like it. I think you could take so many moments from this film. It's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful it's it's in my opinion there's no doubt that it's last one tree is best film um probably because it's one of his least controversial um but it's there's so many moments in this that just look like paintings you could just use as like these stunning paintings yeah great film
1: i like it a lot yeah i mean i like it um, maybe i wouldn't agree that it's last one best Which i don't would you know say? I, don't, I don't i really like dogville as well but yeah uh yeah. i'm not sure uh, but we can talk about that another time. <laughs> we can just, uh, another one, going into 2012 now, was a documentary, The Act of Killing, uh, directed by Joshua Oppenheimer, about um, people who were in a gang, I believe, or they were sort of... They basically did uh, murder. They did uh, executions of people. And they act... He. It's a really interesting film, because they're all... People who were doing this in the 60s, these murderers and uh, executioners. And uh, he essentially asked them to uh, re- reenact the things they did, but they can do it in any style they want. And because they grew up on. Sorry, because they were uh, doing it during a time when they started getting like sort of Hollywood movies and the gangster movies and stuff like that, they start to do that. And um, it's kind of like a slow realization that these people who seem to have no remorse, it all builds to an end that proves that they really do. And it's just, I mean, this is one of the, not the first documentaries I've ever watched, of course, but it was one of the ones that made me realize that documentary is, like, ridiculously effective, definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's one I haven't seen, unfortunately.
1: Another one, uh, still in 2012, was Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. And again, I personally will talk about this later on. Because I, I think this is an absolutely phenomenal film. It's not uh, everyone's taste, but it's just proof that Paul Thomas Anderson is just such a class director, and he has such interesting ideas.
0: Mm. I totally agree. I think all of PTA's films um, are to an acquired taste, but they're all a different acquired taste, aren't they? So, but yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that more later.
1: Uh, Definitely, I know. Not we've already spoke about the Avengers, of course, the first Avengers, the best MCU film. Still, I think. Uh, Maybe you guys disagree, but um, (laughs) it's definitely matter to us. (laughs) Our
0: opinions count more than yours.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Another one that I really loved was Mud, uh, starring uh, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, Just again, it's a movie that crept up on me. I, I knew it was meant to be a good film. Didn't think much of it when I was watching it. And then all of a sudden it just kind of clicked afterwards. I was like, I've just watched a fantastic movie. Uh, it's got really great ideas. It's got a beautiful setting. and It's performed like th- that sort of reconnaissance, I guess. <laughs> this was uh, just before Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, so he was definitely getting into the swing of it. And it's uh, just a great example of why he was, he's been so emphatic this decade as well. Yeah, have you seen Uh
0: Yeah, I have. I haven't seen it in ages, but um, I've only seen it once, probably in 2012. Yeah, great film. Um, as you say, it's uh, just McConaughey just showing that he can actually act really, really well, <laughs> basically.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's I
0: know true it's true. not the only thing with it, but that's the thing I took from it. I was like, wow, this guy is actually a good actor.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, directed by uh, Jeff Nichols as well, who's had a great uh, decade. He's probably... A little bit under the radar to be honest because he just hasn't had as emphatic uh, of a decade as some other uh, emerging directors but uh, The Mud is definitely one to watch definitely. I feel like while we're reading these out you should just have pen and paper you know, <laughs> just get writing them down <laughs>
0: Or uh, go to one... realreviewing.com and then look no, for no, our no, no, no. 20 best films of the decade <laughs> that's pinned at the top because there's a whole list of films there
1: Another one is uh, Thomas Vinterberg's uh, The Hunt and I know if you've listened to our first podcast about uh, London Film Festival, we talked about his latest film, um, Another Round, which we both loved. But The Hunt is another really fantastic film. It's dealing with some really uh, interesting subjects. And I think the way that he handles them and the fact that Mads Mickelson is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it's just such a beautiful film. And again, it's a, just... Another great film by Thomas Vindenberg, to be honest. Um, nearly at the end of 2012, but uh, one is a French movie called Holy Motors. Um, this one's an acquired taste. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really liked it, but basically it's uh, about a performer. He's a he's an actor, but he's more of like a performer. It's it's very art house, and he he basically goes. From scenario to scenario, for some reason, Carly Minogue's in it at one point. <laughs> I, I don't know why, <laughs> but this is definitely an acquired taste. But again, I loved it. I think it's definitely a Marmite kind of film. But yeah. I personally loved it. Uh, obviously, Tarantino still going strong in this decade. Django Unchained was uh, was great. Um, for me, it didn't. It it's never going to be um, as good as. Things like Pulp Fiction and Glorious Bastards, just because there's just moments in it that feel unnecessary. Yeah, I don't don't know if you felt like that when you were watching it.
0: Totally agree. I don't think it's um, my least favorite of his um, at all because the, the one of the other films he did from the decade, you know, Hateful Eight, is near the bottom for me. I think Django Unchained is really great, but it has moments where it just goes on for too long. I think the film as a whole just doesn't, I don't feel any restraint at all. I think it's just completely him doing whatever he wants, which has been really good in the past, but I think it, it's got to the point where it's like, okay, you're self-indulging now, and I think that it got too much with Hateful Eight um, but Django Unchained is still really, really great. It's got some great stuff in it. Um, just before we continue on with racking off the list, do you actually think Django Unchained is is best from the decade? I mean, the only other one I think you could probably put in is uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Which one would you consider better? I know they're quite different. But...
1: That's a good question. I think, uh, as of now, right now, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
0: Mm, I would say the same thing. Just because yeah.
1: the more I love Django Unchained when I first watched it, and I still love it, it's a great film. But for me, the big thing was this idea that he's he's putting little things in, almost because he was thinking there could be a potential sequel. Um, and there's little things that just divert away from the action of like what's happening to stick with these characters that are just completely unnecessary because he thinks that maybe he'll use them in another film. Yeah, and it's like that hinders the film completely for me yeah um but i think once upon a time in hollywood probably just over it i think
0: i think one of the reasons why i like my i was the one who actually reviewed it and i said in my review that i think this is probably his most mature film to date it's not his best as you say pulp fiction and um inglorious bastards and you could probably throw reservoir dogs in there too they're all really really great films but i think there's something about this that just makes it feel more mature um I think he's, you know, he said that he's coming to the end of his directing career. He says it's not, you no know, his next one's his last one, but you know, whether or not that's true or not, I don't know. But I think it's really, really great. Things that, again, I think it suffers from being a bit too long, but um, yeah. So we just continue on into 2013 with Inside Llewyn Davis. I said earlier about how much I like sort of um, dour and quite sad films at well. I think this is a prime example of it. It's the only Coen Brothers film from this decade we've actually put in our honourable mentions. Um, it's definitely not their best film. I just really like it. I think the music is great in it. Um, and I think Oscar Isaac is fantastic as well.
1: No, yeah, I agree. I think it's not, you know, we're not suggesting that The two other films from the decade are bad or anything. Uh, It's just, I think, inside, for the decade, Inside Loan Davis is by far their best film.
0: For sure. Uh, Gorgeous
1: soundtrack, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, And Oscar Isaac is great.
0: (laughs) And then we've also had many mentions of Denis Villeneuve so far. So we put Arrival and Blade Runner 2049. Um, in our actual 20, but as I mentioned in one of the podcasts, you could put pretty much every film by him in this decade on this list. One of them is Enemy. Now, I always find Enemy quite a hard film to describe without giving, um, you know, I don't want to give too much away because it's a film that when you discover what it's really about, it's sort of that's when it's like genius starts shining. Um, great central performance from uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as well. Uh, he's not the only, it's not the only film he's done with. Uh, Denis Villeneuve, they did Prisoners, or Prisoner, sorry. When was Prisoner? 2013. 13, 13 yeah. Same year.
1: Same year. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I think uh, Prisoners is a really fantastic film as well, but uh, I love Enemy. I don't know what it is about it. Again, it's quite a mysterious film, it's, mm-hmm. um, but I just I love it. I think it's a fantastic film to watch.
0: Absolutely. I think another film that you should definitely merit on its originality is Her, Um, you know, that that takes the idea of this sort of Siri in your phone, you know, this AI in your phone going from a quick wake to Google to being like this. It's having like, they had this sentient AI um, almost that you can have a relationship with and having this central character, having a romantic relationship with this AI, I think is making that, romantic as well it's not it's not just the idea of making it watchable it's making it actually romantic is you know i think it's a stroke of genius
1: definitely there's some scenes in her that are just far more emotional and effective than any human romance ever like to be honest i think the bit where he's sat on the stairs and she kind of breaks to him that she's in like you know the ear of a lot of other people uh, it's devastating and Absolutely you brilliant. it's more devastating than a lot of normal romances <laughs> uh, and I think Spike Jones is such a fantastic director mm. uh, I probably don't see that much of him uh, at, the, at the moment but her uh, yeah it's such a great film
0: I think um, one film that you have to that is in this list I think purely because of how engaging it is considering its confines is Locke. um you know the Tom Hardy Sort of, I don't know how else you describe it other than the Tom Hardy film because all it is is Tom Hardy in a car on the phone to people, but you don't see the people down the other end on the phone. It's all in the car. I think making you know ninety minutes of that engaging and interesting, and it, it's about a guy essentially, like going to he had a one night stand, she got pregnant, she's having the baby, and he's talking about that on the phone to people while also talking about a cement pouring. Uh, operation that's going the next day how is that engaging i, I don't, <laughs> tom hardy in the central role i think i think he's i think he's lost a bit of his uh charisma at the moment in some of his most recent performances i don't think he quite has got back to um you know this charismatic role that he has he was in the sort of late 2000s early 2010s but yeah great film um fruitvale station what an incredible film that is. What a heartbreaking film that is. I believe you actually wrote an editor's pick on this, didn't you?
1: I did, yeah. I think uh, it's such a beautiful film. Um, a really important film as well, even today. Um I think what what did it for me is that bit of the start where it shows you what happens and then tells you everything that happened before. I always think that's in the wrong in the wrong film that's a cheap trick, but here it manages to just create so much. Um, you, I guess you know what's coming and you really f- start to love this character. And obviously it's based on a true story and it's just such a brilliant film. And Ryan Coogler is obviously a director that's done very well this decade. Um, but fruitworth Station is his best for me.
0: So you move from like one true story to the next, but a very different one in Wolf of Wall Street, which was one of Leo's, I think it was one of his only nominations from this decade. But like had, we had that big thing um, uh, going into when he actually went won it, that it was like his time to do it. He'd kind of, it, you know, a bit, a long coming thing. I think Wolf of Wall Street is probably one of his best performances. I think he's so kinetic and so engaging in it. Um, I think the character is pretty... Um, awful, and I think it's, I think Scorsese being able to make this in his age, you know, he's he's not a young guy, <laughs> being able to make such a fast-paced kinetic film, I think is very impressive. I do think it succumbs a little bit to I don't want to say, I, I don't think it glorifies him but I think it makes you like him a little bit too much, because the guy's done some really awful shit but, I mean that's not it's not that bad, you know. I don't. Th- I don't think it's um, something that you could rag too much on the film on. I think the film is is still really, really watchable. And considering its length, it's a long film, and considering its length, it's super watchable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming from with that. Um, I do think Scorsese uh, is very. I think in a lot of his films, is a lot of his characters aren't particularly good, but uh, I do see where you're coming from. I don't think it glorifies the lifestyle just because of how it ends. Um, you know, it's it's a very it, even though it's Scorsese, even though it's uh, very different, uh, I guess um, it's still very formulaic in the sense that it's it's the same as every rise and fall movie. Yeah, and it's the best example of that kind of movie, but it's still that formula where they obviously fall. Um, so I don't think there is some glorification just because it's three hours long and it spends a long time on the lifestyle. Um, but I do think the ending's is pretty important. And I think, you know, like you said, uh, with his age, Scorsese has done really well to make such a brilliant film. Absolutely. Still going strong in 2013 was uh, Hayao Miyazaki with The Wind Rises. Um, I don't know... The ins and outs of what the Ghibli sort of fandom community are like, but I personally think I'd put this in my. I think at the time when I watched it, I put it in my top three Ghibli movies I'd ever seen. I yeah. I absolutely adored it, and uh, it's based on a real person, I believe. Yes. Um, yeah. But it's it's uh, what did he do? Sorry, you.
0: He was a um, <laughs> he was a airplane designer during World War Two, uh, so it's a biopic essentially, which I think is. New ground for Ghibli. Um, yeah, I think it's great. I think it. Uh, Ghibli has always had a, a film or two in a, every decade that has been really, really great. Like, they've never, like, like progressively over time, they haven't got bad. Do you know what I mean? They've always had a great film every few years, at least, and I think this was one of them. I don't think I've seen a Ghibli film since Wind Rises, I think, is as, nearly as good. I don't like it quite as much as you, but it's still one of my favourite Ghibli films. I absolutely love it.
1: Well, I think uh, what I love as well about Miyazaki is it doesn't matter what he's telling the story about, whether it's in some other fantastical world or it's grounded and based on a real person, there's always that sense of imagination with his films. Mm. Yeah. And The Wind Rises is just such a... It just feels far more subtle with how it's being uh, magical. And that's why I love it. I think it's a slightly uh, change of pace and I just think it works completely. Uh, Another Japanese animation film from the same year was Garden of Words. I mean, maybe not as uh, sort of narratively on par with with Wind Rises, but uh, it's astonishingly beautiful.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much the only reason why I think it's in this list. The story's good. It's a good story. It's pretty engaging. I think it's only about 45 minutes long. But visually, you've never seen an anime quite like this. I think the rain and the water when they're in the parks is just like... I was watching it absolutely gobsmacked. I think we might have watched it together, actually. Um, And I think, yeah, I remember watching it just thinking, how can an anime have like water this good do you know what I mean? It's it's a strange thing, isn't it? Because usually with hand drawn animation, I don't I don't know if they mixed. I never actually looked into it, unfortunately. But I'm assuming they must have mixed some form of, um, uh, you know, com- computer generated imagery with this to make it that effective. Because it is it's stunning.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's really beautiful, and uh, you know, to go on to twenty fourteen, hell of a year. uh we included a few films in our list but there's just so many we do want to talk about first one is nightcrawler i mean we've talked about goslin and we've talked about tom hardy they've all had great decades i mean probably he's a slightly more hit and miss but i think gyllenhaal's had a fantastic decade as well um and nightcrawler is probably one of if not the best performance he's ever given in my opinion uh really intriguing just such a fast-paced and tense film uh about a journalist who is just will do anything to get that uh effect what would you call it perfect
0: i don't know like it's, scoop yeah scoop yeah yeah the scoop way of putting yeah. It, but yeah great film great film so 2014 also had a film um, that I really, I know we both like it, but I absolutely adore. If you've listened to the other podcasts, you'll know my sort of um, affinity and affection for the sort of slower, slow-burning sci-fis. And Ex Machina is absolutely 100% that in a nutshell. It's, it's simplicity and construction is what I absolutely adore. The idea that you basically just have three people basically in um like a super remote location one of them's actually an ai created by you know the guy who owns the building and then the third person is just here to do the turing test sort of go through it and see if he can um decide when uh the ai is real or not because that's the idea of the turing test that can a computer become real by deceiving a human um it was Alex Garland's directorial debut and he's, he's done some really great films up until this point. He's written some great films, I should say, 28 days later. And, um, I really like sunshine and he's just done some really great stuff, but I think he, this was a point where he kind of, um, went out of his way to make something really, really special. And I think X McInerney is a really special little film.
1: I agree. Uh, I mean, I know you're massive on this film. It's definitely your type of film. I mean, I also loved it. I think it's just really soft and subtle uh, and it's just constructed so beautifully. It's just impeccable, uh, the narrative is. And it's performed brilliantly as well.
0: So the next one from the same year was Birdman. It was the one that actually won Best Picture. Um, I think Birdman's really great. has some really great central performances. Um, It's a film I haven't actually seen in probably five years um i think it's a film that you need to discuss when you're leaving the cinema as well or you know it wouldn't be cinema now but if you sit and watch it with someone i think it's a good film you can discuss the ending with about what's real and what's not
1: yeah uh it's a it's a great film I, I, i'm probably like you i haven't watched it in a while but i remember walking out the cinema and it just I just I was kind of taken aback. I, I'd never really seen a film like that, and like you said, it's it's performed brilliantly. I think its direction is absolutely wonderful as well.
0: The opening sequence is great. The way that he sort of makes this faux one shot, um, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, from the same year, you had Frank, which is a great little indie film with uh, Michael Fassbender in it. it has the really great imagery of this singer, lead singer of a band, with this you know giant paper mache head. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else to say about it. I think it's really great, quick, little fun film that's worth watching.
1: Yeah, I mean that's pretty much all I can say about it is it's a lot of fun. I enjoyed it when I watched it. Um, but one of my favourites actually was uh, Still Alice uh, from 2014. Uh, it won Julianne Moore her first, um, well our only Best Actress Oscar. Uh, and it's it's a really difficult film to watch. It's about um, a woman's slow descent into uh, Alzheimer's and how it starts to kind of take over her life and affect her relationships with her daughter and her husband. And if it wasn't for Julianne Moore, this film wouldn't work because she's absolutely fantastic in it. And there's some scenes that are absolutely horrifying that, you know, it, it could be quite a difficult film for people that, you know, if it hits home quite a lot. But I think it's absolutely phenomenal. I love this film with mm. all my heart. There's really um, much
0: I can add to it. Other than that, I think you've completely hit the nail on the head with it. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, sort of going more towards the popcorn action <laughs> side uh, is Edge of Tomorrow. And uh, I recently uh, wrote a review of Palm Springs that came out uh, this year. And it's following that sort of Groundhog Day uh, story of waking up in the same day. But this one... and this was probably like the start of the rejuvenation, this uh, edge of tomorrow starring Tom Cruise. And it's so good though. Like you read what it's about and you're a bit like, "Eh." but it's just so good. It's so entertaining. Um, It's intelligent with where he sort of uh, wakes up and stuff. It doesn't just, uh, it doesn't feel like it has a lot of filler. Like it feels like every day he wakes up is very important and stuff like that. And I think it's just, very full throttle, and god, I hate saying that, but it is, and <laughs> it's great. Another movie from 2014, just to round it off with our sort of honorable mentions from that year, is Chef. Speaking of John Favreau, uh, I know we've mentioned that he's hes very much a director that you know people like, like studios think they can rely on, but Chef's definitely a much more personal film for him. Uh, it, you know, you find out now through TV shows and things like that, like the Chef show on Netflix, that he's very much a food, en- food enthusiast. Uh, and this film is just like the pinnacle of film and food it's food porn but (laughs) it's got a great story it's got a very underlying um way of connecting food with the people around him and it's such a fantastic little passionate film uh it's not much more than that but i think it's just a very beautiful film to watch sometimes super
0: watchable it's so watchable it's so fun um yeah i really really love chef
1: yeah, uh, to carry on, going back to Denis Villeneuve, I think, uh, we, probably the most mentioned person on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> friend, of, uh, friend of the show, Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was his 2015 film, Sicario. Um, I think we there was, you know, some debates about this actually making the list. But, yeah, it was uh, very
0: close, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it's just such a fantastic film it's very tense it's got very big ideas and it has a particular sequence on the bridge yeah which is by far one of the best scenes of the decade it's the tension and the craft put into that scene and the whole film is just absolutely phenomenal
0: absolutely absolutely i think it's it's not just it's the whole build up to that as well you know we spoke about certain films having these really really great endings before i think Sicario has an amazing opening. Like the first 40 or 50 minutes are so tense. You just have no idea where it's heading. Um, yeah, and he has. I think Denis Villeneuve has a really, really great sense of how to make action good, but sure. I remember reading an interview with him once where he said he doesn't really like to use violence. He thinks there's too much violence out, out there. So when he does want to use it, it has a lot of punch to it. And I think, as you say, that border crossing scene... Um, You know, in 40, 50 minutes in, is the prime example of this really, really punchy but brief violence that he does excellently well.
1: Yeah. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another one from 2015 is Danny Boyle's uh, Steve Jobs. Um, I absolutely love this film. Like, when I first watched it, well, it's got an Aaron Sorkin script for a start. So you think you know social network that very tight, punchy dialogue. Steve Jobs is exactly the same, and uh, it's very similar in the sense that it's uh, it's sort of picking apart a very popular figure of this decade, um, and performed just almost it's almost perfectly by uh, Fassbender. It's got uh, Kate Winslet in it. Seth Rogen actually does pretty well against all these heavyweights. Um, but yeah, I adore this film. I absolutely. absolutely love it.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you can add any more than that. I think it's Bender probably at his best ever. Um, he's a great actor anyway, but you know he just absolutely controls this film.
1: Uh, another one that won the best... Um, I don't know what the actual title of the category was called at the time. Best foreign language film, maybe? Best international film, I'm not sure. But Son of Soul won the Oscar. And uh, I think... I didn't know much about it until it had won the Oscar, unfortunately, but I did get to watch it a couple of years after, uh, such a fantastic, uh, way of showing, uh, the Holocaust, I think, uh, really interesting, you know, basically very tight shots of, you know, from behind the back of people's heads and front facing and, but he still manages to capture all of that terror, all of that, you know, what's happening around the camera. And I think that's Mm -hmm. really important. Uh, it's such a beautifully shot film, I think, and pretty heartbreaking as well, as you can guess from what it's about.
0: Absolutely, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, nail on the head with that one too. I think it's a heartbreaking, just, like it, it will just make you like numb to your core. It's, it. I think it does it in the same way that Schindler's List, sort of the way it represents the Holocaust, will make you sort of a little bit numb to your core that you think this. I don't, I don't know if Sanderson was actually based on true events, but the fact that this could have happened in this setting is horrific. And I think the fact that this is a directorial debut, just I, powerful, powerful, powerful stuff.
1: Uh, next one is uh, The Big Short, and I have... I love this film. It's such a fantastic way to tell a story that is just so mundane and has so much very specific language in it that just to an audience is just exhausting but what adam mckay does is he just gives it this this sprite this uh this humor and it just works so well i mean and it spawned a lot of films that have tried to do the same but they haven't quite nailed it but the big short does nail it uh, about the uh collapse of the was it the housing no, yeah the base, basically the
0: burst of the housing bubble in 2008
1: yeah. The well, housing market.
0: But yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's market, bizarrely it. entertaining, isn't it? <laughs> For a film yeah. like this. And it's got some great performances in it as well. Loaded cuts. Yeah, and I think
1: I know that uh like obviously the way he if something's a bit mundane but he has to get it across kind of almost taking the piss out of its audience a little bit is having things like margot rabbit margot robbie explain it to us in a bathtub and <laughs> things like that it's uh, it's quite an ingenious way really to get through to us and uh, but yeah i do think films need to stop trying to match that <laughs> humor unnecessarily but yeah. um but yeah the big short is still the best of that kind of film uh, the next one is the one that Leo actually won his Oscar for. The oh, Revenant. Yay. <laughs> um, very beautiful film again. Uh, directed by Alejandro Inaraitu. Um He's a director that's just so in control of his craft. The Revenant is the same. I probably think it's slightly too long, maybe. Mm, yeah. uh, to be considered to be put on the list. But um no. Great central performance by Leo. Good, uh, you know Tom Hardy's great, even though it's quite difficult to understand what he's saying. <laughs> um, but it really has some really effective moments, even though it is a lot of uh, quiet moments of just like trudging through the mud and the woods and stuff, trying to get to their, um destination. Um, it's it still has some really really hard hitting moments as well.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I don't really know what else to add to. I think I think you go. It's a beautiful film its a great performance don't think it's leo's best performance i think he probably could have won um, an oscar earlier for this i'm glad he did win one in the end um yeah i think it's i think it's it will always be remembered for its visuals more than the performances and and the story and the writing i think because visually it is just outstandingly beautiful trying to Busan. <laughs> how do you reinvent the zombie genre in this film
1: <laughs> that's, yeah.
0: I think that's the best way of describing it.
1: Train to Busan is you know, it's very high concept, you know, it, zombies are not something that's very new to the horror genre. But it, yeah, it just manages to do so much more with it and finds effect really effective relationships within the action. Uh it's such a fantastic film. Uh and I'm very excited to watch the uh sequel. I know it's probably a lot more different, but um I'm very excited to watch it. Oh, good, uh good things. And uh, another Korean film uh, is The Handmaiden by chan Woo Park. One of the best directors, in my opinion. He's one of my favourites, actually. Uh, I've not watched... Um, I don't think he's made a film in a while. I may be wrong about that. But uh, this one um, surprised me, actually, because I didn't think it could get better than Old Boy. <laughs> and while Handmaiden is not as good, I don't think, it's very close. I think it's just constructed beautifully. Uh, I'm right. I think I'm right in saying that it's kind of based on that sort of Rashomon effect um, about three different people and three different ideas of what's happened. Um, but yeah, such a gorgeous film shot beautifully. And he's, he's also got such a beautiful way of doing transitions between shots as well. Um, yeah, totally. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic film.
0: I really a big. I'm a really big fan of um, Captain Fantastic. Um, I I don't really know what else to say to it other than it's just a really quirky, fun indie film. It's I think it's a bit better than your average indie film. It's got a great central performance from Viggo Mortensen. Uh, yeah, just a really great film. I think.
1: Yeah, I do think it. You know, some indie films they do try to be overly quirky, and I think Captain Fantastic. Its idea, its concept, its characters. It, almost becomes very close to falling into that but it's just handled very well and it's very funny and it's such a be- it's a really beautiful film to watch as well
0: absolutely another really beautiful little film was the red turtle um, which if you didn't know going into you might think was a Ghibli film <laughs> um, by the posters and stuff like that but it's very very different from Ghibli um, there's no dialogue at all it's basically just about a guy stranded on an island and a turtle coming up to him and him basically thinking it could be a reincarnation of his wife uh i think it's really beautiful Um, i think it's very moving it's very short but it's very moving i think stop motion can sometimes get lost in the shuffle of animation i think sometimes people just um think of wallace and gromit and things like that but kuba and the two Strings is a film that elevates stop motion to the next level Um, what an incredible little film that is that's a prime example of how to do a family film that kids can watch, but the whole family can enjoy as well. There's a lot in there for everyone to enjoy.
1: Yeah, it's visually, it's just so unique. It's got that sort of almost origami feel to it, and um, what a just, uh, it's just a really entertaining film. To be honest, I loved it. Yeah, going on to twenty seventeen, another another fantastic year <laughs> um, was the killing of the sacred deer. ...by uh, Yorgos Lanthimos... Uh, ...what a unique director he is anyway... <laughs> ...and a great... Uh, ...such a great uh, decade anyway... ...he's also made one uh, that we'll talk about... ...a little bit later on... ...but this one was... ...really unsettling... ...um... ...it's, ju- it's about... ...a kid who... ...gets involved with the dad of a family... ...like he... Uh, ...nothing particularly like sketchy or anything... ...he just helps... ...the dad helps him... ...basically he's a doctor... And uh, he, the kid, uh, mysteriously says that he will kill the kids of the family. Uh, But he didn't say how, and you never see how. They, for some reason, just naturally start to sort of give way. Uh, um, And the way that Yorgos Lanthimos is so direct with some of the things he talks about is just it's excruciating but it's just so riveting as well Absolutely, Uh, and he's such a fantastic director as well and he's one of he's he's a director that i will always look out for Uh, and i'd probably say this is my favorite from him
0: i think the film we're going to go into in a bit is my favorite by him but i can completely understand why but all of his films are super unique i think the film we're going to in a bit is a bit more accessible which is why i like him more but killing your sacred deer is absolutely brilliant Um, we should go into another film from 2017 that we actually watched together quite early on in its release when we we went to LA for a couple of weeks Um, we watched Wind River Um, what a great underrated film I think Wind River is Um, Jeremy Renner playing this sort of um, uh, American on this nature reserve when a young girl's body is found Uh, you know, in the harsh, cold tundra. Um, She's been raped and she's only wearing a T-shirt. It's a very, very difficult film to watch and a very difficult subject. But I think it's very, very moving. I think Jeremy Renner showed how well he can act. I think sometimes people can just be like, he's that guy who plays Hawkeye. But he's fantastic in it. Uh, It's actually our second film on the list by Taylor Sheridan, Taylor Sheridan wrote Sicario, but this was his sort of first proper directorial debut that he also wrote. I think it's a really, really great little film that not a lot of people have seen.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Elizabeth Olsen is fantastic in it as well. Um, and I think what we're saying, obviously, Taylor, Taylor Sheridan wrote Sicario. It has that, I don't know, complete two completely different settings, really, uh, but it has that similar sort of natural intensity to about it Mm. where it's just this like overlying intensity all the time. You just don't know where it's going basically. And Mm. yeah, we watched it together and I think we both walked out thinking this is really fantastic.
0: Yeah. I think something, one of the films that we actually kind of missed maybe was hell or high water that he also wrote. I think that's a great, great film as well. Not, I don't think it's quite as good as wind river or Sicario, but again, he's, I think he's just, he's got a really, really good flair for writing very very different little films now one film i actually spoke about on a previous podcast was coco um and i absolutely love coco i think it's um are very very rarely miss with their films maybe with cars and cars two and cars (laughs) three but i think coco is really really great not not least just because i you know i've this came up in when we were talking about um, great movie scenes that you could watch outside of watching the rest of the film, and I think the ending of Coco really has that. I think it has a great emotional punch. I think it's just so full of life and character, so much fun. I mean, when he goes over the bridge for the first time and he sees the, the sort of the land of the dead, it's so colourful and bright, and I just, I think, yeah, I just think it's a really interesting way for young people to experience a different culture that doesn't feel like it's been appropriated. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes Mexican culture can sort of just be blandly represented in, um, you know, American cinema, but I feel like this does it justice.
1: Definitely. It's such a stunning film by Pixar, and, you know, it it's one of those films that I think... People can give Pixar a hard time about doing... They've done a lot of sequels, but when they do want to do something original, it's so original. And Coco and, obviously, On the List Inside Out, both such good examples of that, basically.
0: Absolutely. And talking about sequels, you know, we say that they get a hard time for doing sequels. I'm going to go into Paddington 2. Now, if I was making a list of my 20 favourite films from the decade, Paddington 2 would probably be number one. I cannot describe how much love I have for this film. I just think it's the most joyous, most fun. You know, everything I was just saying about Coco in the way that it's it's so fun and and full of character and full of life. I think Paddington do, Paddington Two does a million times over. I think there's so many sequences in it that I could just talk about for hours, hours on end, on end. They're just so fun and so. I just, I just there's things about this film that I just can't describe about how much I love it. I mean, you t- <laughs> but like when he, when he goes to prison and um, he meets Brendan Gleeson who, you know, normally is this, you know, hard-ass, um, you know, straight actor and he's playing that character but Paddington's playing opposite him and just, just softens him up and he softens up this this sort of hard, brutal prison into being like a dainty little, um, you know, almost coffee shop type place. It's, I just, I love this film with my heart. <laughs> it is hook, line and sinker. I'm I'm in this film.
1: Yeah, I think just, it kind of just feels like everywhere Paddington walks, he can just light up anyone's yeah. life. And it's the same for anyone who watches it. And I think Paddington and Paddington too, especially just good examples of the effect a movie can have on you and how joyous it can make you feel as well.
0: So I think 2017 isn't remembered quite as well as the rest of the years, but I think it also had three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, I think it's a film that when it came out, people were really into it and people really liked it, but it's kind of been forgotten a little bit now. Um, I mean, it's got a great central performance from Francis McDormand. I think the story is is quite hard. Um, It's not an easy-watching film, but I think it's it's really worth watching.
1: I agree. Uh, I totally agree with it, sort of dropping off the radar a little bit I know that Shape of Water was the one to win the Oscar but I think we both kind of wanted this one too because yeah, for me it was the best movie of the year I mean bar, the one nominated anyway bar mm. you know, Blade Runner but um, <laughs> uh, yeah I think it's a really really great movie uh, very hard hit and very difficult to uh, very difficult to get through in the sense that it's a tough subject but it's uh, I think the way that uh, McDonough writes his movies is he finds humour in the darkest of places, and I think that's pretty important in the movie, like Three Book Boards.
0: Absolutely. We'll move on to Alex Garland's second film. So he, obviously, we spoke about Ex Machina quite a lot earlier, and he followed it up with Annihilation. I don't think it's quite as good. I think a lot of that comes from the fact that it's an adaptation of a book rather than his own, um, you know, original screenplay. But I still think it's a really great film. I, I take Annihilation as a far more um metaphorical film than most you watch i don't take anything in it literally i think it's um talking about quite a lot of interesting topics um via having this sort of bizarre shimmer thing just appearing and then natalie portman going in it and i think it's a really really interesting tale i think it's uh really original in its sort of visualising of everything that's going on. You know, the the nightmarish bear thing is horrifying and will haunt you for years to come. I think that is a really, it's a really great little film. Again, I think it's something that maybe even went under the radar when it came out. I don't think I saw many people talking about it, and I think it's a really great film.
1: Sorry. Uh, Yeah, well, I mean... It was a Netflix original, wasn't it? And um, it's kind of film I, it was a bit of a shame I didn't get to see it in the cinema because uh, the way... What I love about it, I think, is that it allows you to ask questions, but not in a frustrating way. Uh, and I think it's really difficult for films to do that. Uh, the only thing other than Annihilation that comes to mind is a TV show, The Leftovers, mm. is another thing that allows you to ask questions, but not in a frustrating way. You kind of like... The enigmatic qualities of it and i think annihilation is the same um i mean you i think you understand more about it you've read the book right
0: yeah yeah i really like the book yeah
1: yeah i kind of just watched the movie i adored it i thought it was fantastic but you know i talk about going under the radar i went under my radar really i've just not really thought about it in a long while uh, but yeah it was a fantastic movie when i first watched it
0: so we've spoken a lot about damien chazelle we included whiplash and la la land in our 20 best of the decade um I think when you know, we spoke about Annihilation going under the radar, I think First Man really went under the radar as well. Um, it is the decade of Ryan Gosling. We've said this. We will keep saying this. It's the decade of Ryan Gosling. He's got a great performance here as Neil Armstrong. Um, I think a lot of people, when they saw it advertised, they were thinking, "Ah, oh, this is a film about Neil Armstrong. I don't really... I know his story, you know, whatever. But it, it's not about... It's not about the apollo mission it's about a man coping with the death of his daughter when she's really really young you know it's it's about this guy trying to move on and finding like he literally has to leave the planet to deal with his grief um i think it's really really stunning i think it's, it's shot on film and i think that really you can tell it feels like it's it like you know it makes it feel more authentic to the time i think it's got a great moon landing sequence it's probably my favorite moon landing sequence. Um, you know, in a fiction film, I don't think anything has ever like. I've never watched the moon landing sequence and gone, "Oh yeah, that was really, really great. I really love that." Apart from this one, it really, really, it really stuck with me. I'm a huge fan of First Man.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think most films, uh, they think about more about what happens when you get there, not the actual landing. Uh, so I think the, sh- the amount of work that Chazelle put into creating that landing sequence is absolutely phenomenal I know that you're bigger on this film than I am um, not that I don't like it I love it I think it's absolutely fantastic but it's much more your kind of film <laughs> I just I'm a huge uh, fan
0: of like NASA sort of like um, Apollo and Mercury era NASA missions so
1: yeah, yeah it's a nice way of saying you're a nerd basically yeah basically <laughs> Uh the next one, uh, talking of... Um, I know we mentioned Stop Motion with Kubo and the Two Strings, but another one by uh, Wes Anderson. Isle of Dogs. Uh, I love this film. <laughs> I I love any Wes Anderson film, to be honest. I mean, yeah. he's, he's just such a original director. And Isle of Dogs, just. I know he'd already made Fantastic Mr. Fox, so we know that he can do animation. It was just nice to see him do it again. and Isle of Dogs is such a funny film. Um... I know that some people have found it some controversy with it of how it portrays Japanese people. I don't know the ins and outs of that. I know that I enjoyed it. Wes Anderson is one of the most consistent directors out there and Isle Dogs just speaks volumes about his quality again. I loved it. It's just great. <laughs> totally,
0: great. I think it has got a stellar cast as well. Like he's he's just made Wes Anderson's got this really great way of using the same cast again and again but in unique and entertaining ways. You never think, oh god, he's using this person again. I just think, yeah, he has a really great way of doing that.
1: Yeah. Um another film to go back to the great Yorgos Lanthimos was The Favourite. Uh again, it's a film that like I'm not massive on period pieces as much there are great ones out there but this one's just completely unlike any of them you've seen <laughs> uh it's got three central performances that are absolutely phenomenal um and i never thought that lanthimos's style would match something set in this time um but yeah it's uh, it's a fantastic movie and i know you said it's it would be your favourite Anthemos film.
0: It is. I think it's just because it's really, it's it, when I say it's more accessible, I don't mean that it's like less unique and it has less of a style. I just think it's really, really watchable. Like I've probably f- seen it three or four times now. Like there's been so many times where i will be like, oh, I'm going to watch a film and I'll just see it on, you know, whatever streaming service or I notice my DVD of it or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to watch that because it's so funny. Like, I, I don't I don't think any of his other films his films usually have moments of humor but this film is just so so funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. I think uh, Olivia Colman helps with that as well. I, I
0: and, mean, her, uh, her Rachel Weisz
1: <laughs> Oh, I love it! It's the best thing. She's a national treasure. That woman, she's she just great. Is.
0: What a great little film here! Yeah. What a great film. <laughs> So we actually mentioned this film before when we were covering our 20 best of the decade because it was one that was nominated alongside Roma for best foreign language film at the Oscars or best non-English language film, whatever the fucking best international film. I don't remember what the fucking thing was called at the time, Uh, but Cold War, it's a... Um, Polish film by directed by Pavel, Pavel um who has done um, some other um, Oscar nominated films as well. Ira is one of his best ones but Cold War in my opinion is his best film. Um, I know it took you a little while to come around to it because I actually saw it in 2018 and you've only seen it recently but I really really love this film. I think it hit me in a way that I I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was. Um, it's really short at like 90 minutes, but it spans about 15 or 20 years. and I think it does it effortless, effortlessly. Um, the two central performances by the people who are sort of, um, falling in and out of love, I think are really, really great. But I think what always stuck with me is the cinematography. The way that it's shot is so beautiful and the way that it frames its characters and just creates this sort of, it, I always get, whenever I watch it, I always get this sense that these people, like they're lost in the world around them. They're just these two lovers lost in this sort of massive world that just doesn't, they don't know how to fit inside of it. Um, it's a pretty bleak film, but um, I think I just really, really love it, and I don't think enough people have seen it.
1: Yeah, you're right. I did. It took me a while, but that's, you know me, I'm just terrible at watching films that you recommend to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I think the cinematography, cinematography. Sorry, for me is the thing that does stand out as well. Uh, similar to what you were saying, it to me it felt like. Obviously, it's um, during the communist insurgence of Poland, and uh, they obviously flee to France. And what I love is that when they're in France, uh, it almost looks like Breathless, the Godard film. Yeah, it's almost like that, but. It has that style of Paris, but the way he shoots it makes it very clear that these two are not, well, especially uh, the woman in it. She just doesn't feel comfortable in this place. That was something that stood out for me, uh, was that it has that kind of style and love of Paris, you know, this very stereotypical romantic side of Paris. But he kind of juxtaposes it with this beautiful cinematography that makes it very clear that this woman is not feeling that. And that was one thing that stood out to me. Uh, I'd probably say you are definitely bigger on this film than I am, Mm. Uh, but I'm not going to bash it because it's a fantastic film.
0: Yeah, I really love it. I think in a decade that was absolutely dominated by comic book films, I think Spider-Man: Into the Spider-Verse was a breath of fresh air. Um, Not only have I think we ever seen a comic book film like that, I don't think we've seen an animation like that in the same way that sort of uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World manages to sort of manifest the comic book on the page. I think that does it perfectly as well, you know. Um, I think I think the best example of that is the way that it shows each of the, the Spider-Men when it comes in, the way that it shows each of them they have their own, you know, unique animation styles. The way that they make that work and it's still visually really great is mind-boggling to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing the poster for it and obviously I think there's, there was an exhaustion when you see something new coming out about Spider-Man or anything that's just been redone so many times, but I'm so glad that it did. Uh, it's, it's such a refreshing film. Uh, you know, it, it's a comic book movie through and through. It plays on the cliches and it know, it knows it has to be cliche, but it's also so original at the same time. I love it.
0: Yeah. I totally agree. Um, Shifting completely, we had Marriage Story in 2019. Um, Now, (laughs) if you didn't ever think Scarlett Johansson was a good actress, I think this is a prime example of why she has always generally been good in her performances. You know, Lost in Translation was probably one of her best until this point. But I think this is um you know really great and then this is adam driver just being like you know what i want everyone to take fucking notice of me because i'm a good actor and you're not giving me credit for being a good actor that's what i feel like he had to do with this film um and it's it's a film that you could very very easily be like yeah it's it's a performance film you know it's very about you know these two characters and the performances are a bit it's got a really, really great story to it too about these two people that, you know, are still in love but their marriage doesn't work anymore so they have to have this divorce. But the system of divorce is just built to pit these two people against each other. You know, when when they decide that they are going to split, they, they're very um, calm and pretty diplomatic about it. But there's just moments throughout where they're just... they're they're almost not annoyed at each other, but they've they've sort of annoyed at everything that's going on and they just release it against each other because they don't know where to put their anger. Um, It's a very emotionally affecting film. And I think it's a very maturing step for Noah Baumbach too. I think I really like Noah Baumbach's films, but I don't think he's ever made a film this good. I think this is quite a clear cut, you know, best of his filmography so far.
1: Yeah, I think it's a very raw and uh, difficult interpretation of uh, divorce. I mean, I'm not going to say it's accurate because I've never had a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> I've had seven. Uh, <laughs> but um, it feels real. It feels, and you know that idea that they, yeah, they direct their anger at each other, but really it's the system that feels like it's tearing them apart. But they all obviously all have this. They both have this like pent up problem uh, with each other. And it's performed just so wonderfully. Uh, Adam Driver's just phenomenal, in it?
0: Talking about great performances, I mean, for those who didn't know that Adam Sandler can act, you'd probably, you know, point them towards punch, punch Drunk Love, but now most people you could point them towards Uncut Gems because I feel <laughs> I feel like Adam Sandler every 10, 15 years is now probably just going to be like, you know what, I'm just going to make a good film. Um, that's not my own. Um what a film Uncut Gems is. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the Safety brothers. They haven't made that many films, but they've made this very unique type of film that I once heard, I once heard uh, Uncut Gems described as a rising panic attack. And I think that's the best way to describe it. And they have a lot of elements in that. In another film you could probably suggest from this decade, uh, Good Time, with you know, an, a great performance from Robert Pattinson in that. But yeah, Adam Sandler in uncut gems is outstanding he is just in control of the entire film i think the film would still be good if it didn't have him in it but uh having a performance that good from him is uh really really great yeah uh, that what what a snub at the at the oscars as well i feel like they didn't want to nominate uncut gems or anything because it was a netflix film um but it's one of the best from 2019 in my opinion
1: Yeah, Uh, I I think it's really difficult to describe what kind of film it is. You're right, and I think the only way—I mean, I know that like loads and loads of reviews of you know they've had their own metaphors, but these metaphors work. I think even I described it as reading a book with uh, no full stops. It's (laughs) just like there's just no stopping it at all. It's just ongoing, and it just—even when you think it's going to take a small break, then he does something else that just makes him. Uh, causes all these problems for him and it's such a unique film the Brothers are fantastic directors
0: Absolutely, they absolutely are We'll move on to um, ryan Johnson's Knives Out So we obviously spoke about his Star Wars film earlier which has its issues um, Knives Out um, it, Does it have any issues? Maybe I don't give a shit <laughs> I think it is so much fun to watch. You can. I feel like he had fun with Star Wars, but he he was probably a little bit reined in because he had there was all this studio control and stuff like that. Not that that's necessarily always a bad thing, but I feel like with this, he was just given a load of money to go make whatever film he wanted, um, and you can just tell every single person involved is having such a fun time. You know, um, Daniel Craig absolutely kills it as benoit blanc (laughs) kentucky pi and oh god it's just it's just pure enjoyment from start to finish i think it's so fantastic and in a genre like murder mystery to be able to essentially reinvent you know agatha christie's way of doing murder mystery is to say you're going to do that is pretty bold to be able to actually succeed in that is something else entirely
1: yeah i mean I think i i think yeah i i watched this um with uh someone and we both just came out. It's definitely a film to watch with other people, and that's coming from me who just doesn't <laughs> watch films with people uh it's such a fantastic film, and I think at the time me and you were gonna make uh we were debating doing a best of 2019 like top five um I'm not sure, but for me, this is like top three yeah i I absolutely adored it I love the who done it genre anyway. Especially the first time you watch it, definitely. And uh, it's just performed so well, uh, but with just so much fun as well. Like you said, New Craig's funny as hell, is it? He's so funny in it. Um, And uh, Anna Diarmas as well, obviously, uh, really started to emerge by the end of the decade, and she's fantastic. And, you know, it's nice to see Chris Evans not being Captain America. Yeah, I mean, I love him as Captain America. Mm. I love him as Captain America, but it's just nice to see actors like that so, like, ingrained in the super superhero genre. It's just nice to see them prove that they are actually great actors.
0: When when you're playing someone like Captain America, you probably have to like Captain America's. You know this. You know this thing that kids is this guy that kids love, and he's you know representing you know America and nationalism and punching Nazis and stuff like that. To have that the guy who does that sat in a room just pointing at his family members, going eat shit. Eat shit, eat shit, (laughs) definitely eat shit is so funny. Um, Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I
1: love the, I uh, I love like the, uh, the, some of the running jokes in it as well. Like when, um, you know, that sort of like undercut jab of like uh, upper class uh, Americans where they refer to Anna D'Amis's character as being like four different nationalities. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's, It's really funny.
0: And it's got a great opening, like the way that it it sort of introduces you to all the character and the setup is so brilliant. Those first 20 minutes are just kinetic, there's no slowing down at all, where you have the police and Benoit Blanc just interviewing all the family members, but it sort of interweaves all the family into one sort of just sort of dialogue is genius, it's so clever, so clever. I think I'll move on to... I think this is actually the only film on the list you haven't seen, which is Monos from 2019. So Monos is directed by Alejandro Landes. It's a Colombian film, but it's set in a South American country that's not said. You could probably assume it's somewhere like Colombia, but it's not specifically said. It sort of follows a guerrilla group of um, sort of child soldiers, um, part of a military regime that's never identified you don't you assume that they're rebels but it doesn't actually specifically say so they could be governmental you just don't know um and they're holding hostage a american woman who's uh julian nicholson um at first it's a, a, a top of mountain and then the second half of the film is in a jungle um <laughs> I don't, I, it's so hard to describe why this film is so good. The performances are just absolutely brilliant, but there's not much story to be told. So like, they they're they're looking after this woman, and then they're given a cow to look after, and they're told that you know they have to look after this cow with their life. And there's this man who comes from the you know the, it's, I think it's even called just called the organization. He comes and he keeps, you know, track of them and stuff like that. But it's sort of like part Lord of the Flies. You can see some sort of Apocalypse Now um, inspiration coming through there. But it's incredibly inventive. It's incredibly unique. I've never seen anything like it. Um, The score was composed by Mika Levy, who uh, hasn't actually done, I mean, they did the score for Under the Skin, but you probably wouldn't like jump and be like oh yeah they do like they do good scores but they don't do amazing scores but like the mono score is just in just incredibly inventive in the way that it uses sounds to make this like almost arresting but um eerie um you know track all the way through it's it's wildly wildly um unique uh i think for most people really really need to check out it's visually beautiful excellently directed and I should probably stop there because I could go on about this film for a while. I think it's a really, really excellent film.
1: The last one of these honourable mentions, and probably other than Parasite, my favourite of 2019 by pretty far actually is uh, Céline Sciamma. Yeah. Did I get that right?
0: I think so. I think yeah, so. We'll go with it. We'll <laughs> <going> with it. <laughs>
1: um, a very, very beautiful film uh, about a painter who goes to a remote islands to paint uh, a young lady who's meant to be married off to a man in Milan, I believe. And um, the two connect uh, romantically eventually and it's such a gorgeous film. I think the way that it's shot and the way that she uses um, sort of hands and gestures and eye movement to suggest longing to suggest love to suggest desire uh she really shoots it through the eyes of an artist and i think that's so important for the character uh and i think it's actually i think it's got one of the best uh last shots of any film i've seen in a very long time
0: yeah, I think it's a really, really beautiful film. I think I mentioned it in one of our earlier podcasts that I think 2010s has been a really, really great decade for um, LGBT plus representation in film. You know, we, we put Blue's the Warmest Colour in our list and we've mentioned films, and also Call Me By Your Name, and we've mentioned films like that. But I think something that Portrait of a Lady on Fire does that other films haven't done is it doesn't make the sexuality of the characters part of the story. it It's just a natural thing that happens. She's meant to get like the 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 woman being painted is meant to get married to this man in Milan but then falls in love with the person painting her. There's no thing of, uh, there's not really much of, um you know, oh, we shouldn't be doing this because we're, you know, two females or anything like that, which I think you could do in a period piece uh, and still have an important message to tell, but that's not what it's about. It's just about this, um, raw, um, kinetic love between them. You know, it's just so natural. The love between them is so natural and it's so sad when they come to this realisation that they can't have it forever. Uh, it's a stunning film. I mean, it, she's had a great decade too. She did um Celine Tiermar has done um Tomboy and Girlhood. Am I right saying Girlhood? Oh yeah. I think they're yeah. both great films too and I mean, we could have mentioned them earlier. But I th- I think this is more um, she's really upped her sort of quality now she's raised the bar for her home for her own work with Portrait of a Lady on Fire stunning piece of work
1: uh, but yeah speaking of you know Oscar snubs uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Monos um, two incredibly effective movies um, who again they probably would have lost out to Parasite anyway <laughs> but uh, still a snub in my opinion. Uh, and Portrait of the Lady of Fire, as I said, is such a stunning film, and one of my favourites of the year, 100%. Uh, Yeah, I
0: totally agree, I totally agree.
1: So, uh, now, we're going to go back to our original top 20 of the decade, uh, because it's been a year since we made it, and I feel like we've watched films, we've re-watched films, we feel as though there's some changes that could be made, so... Just so you know what we're talking about, we're, I'm just going to quickly reel off the list and then we'll start talking about it. So the top 20 was um, Blade Runner 2049 from 2017, uh, Roma from 2018, uh, Moonlight 2016, La La Land 2016, Grand Budapest Hotel 2014, Sorry. Spotlight, 2015, Get Out, 2017, Arrival, 2016, Manchester by the Sea, 2016, (laughs) a lot of 2016, Your Name, 2016, Uh, Call Me By Your Name, 2017, Whiplash, 2014, Shoplifters, 2018, Inside Out, 2015, Blue Is The Warmest Colour, 2013, Parasite, 2019, Place Beyond The Pines, 2012, Mad Max, Fury Road, 2015. Uh, Black Swan 2010, Phantom Thread 2017, and that is the list.
0: Well, what a list of films that is.
1: What a great list, eh?
0: So, immediately the jumps out. I haven't got like a set amount of films I would definitely remove and ones that I would definitely replace. It's a little bit loose for me, but there's a few films that jump out at me that I would replace. And one I would definitely replace upon re-watching was Blue is the Warmest Colour now i still think it's a really really great film but i i just think it's a little bit more problematic than the first time i watched it i don't think i knew about any of the stuff that's happened in the back i think i think i even mentioned this in our thing i think some sequences are a little bit gratuitous and i just think if you're making a list of the 20 best you could probably put other films in there that could replace it that would be less problematic but just as good I think I'd also replace Your Name. I think Your Name's really great. I really like it. But I've seen films since then that I think are probably better. Uh, Which is no, you know, this is, it's still made into R20 at the time. It's still a really great film. But, you know, I've seen some stuff. I think it's probably a little bit better. And I think probably the same with, it hurts me a little bit to say this, but I think I would probably say the same with Place Beyond the Pines. I think place I think sometimes I get a little bit caught up in the originality of the structure for Place Beyond the Pines. But there are films that we've just talked about that I think are better. Okay. So is there any is there any that you would take out? Is there any that immediately jump at you that you'd take out?
1: Uh I'm on the same wavelength as you with those of warmest colour. Um definitely more issues with it. Now, and I think if you are picking things that bring the film down, then it shouldn't be in a top twenty of mm. the past ten years. Like, like you said, there is films that we've talked about that I didn't remotely have any problem with, so they could easily replace it. Um, I actually wouldn't get rid of *Place On Pants*. Maybe it's uh, like you said. I, I don't know if it's because we both adore that film. Uh but yeah. I, I still wouldn't personally. Um
0: no, it's, yeah, it's, it's The one, other
1: yeah. there's probably two maybe. Three. Your name I agree with as well. Uh mine is Phantom Thread. I know that's your you like that film a lot. Yes, um, I do, yeah. But for me it didn't have uh I I guess I wasn't just I just wasn't as connected to it. Uh like I just didn't I loved it, I thought it was fantastic and PTA is such a great director but uh i think there are films that i thought were better and one is i'm still on the fence about this one as well it's call me by your name because mm. i just remember having a massive problem with it being a little bit over long but i did say in the last podcast that it feels warranted now but i still mm. think you do feel that uh the like sort of fatigue of the runtime a little bit by the end so yeah. and there's a lot of films in the honorable mentions that you don't. Yeah. So I think that one would be another one I'd consider taking out.
0: Okay, so how about we say four films? We've got. Um, do we both taken out four films? Because I tell you what, I think you've probably convinced me to call me by your name. I know that we were talking about this beforehand, and you said you might be it. I was thinking, oh, I don't know if I could, but I convinced myself into it a little bit, and you there by by thinking if we, if we're picking holes a little bit, you know. There are probably other films out there that could replace it, so we're both essentially replacing four films. Now, yeah, there are three films that immediately jump at me that I'm going to put in. Um, I know we're going to share one of them, which or two of them. The first one is The Master. Um, yeah, you know, 100%. I I know you prefer it to Phantom Thread in terms of PTA films. I think they're both incredible films. I personally prefer Phantom Thread, but I think they're both really great. Um, I think we would also both put in Portrait of a Lady on Fire.
1: 100 percent, oh, yeah. Yeah, I was a little bit on the fence anyway when we were making the list, because uh, uh, I really wanted to put it on the list. Um, but as I started sort of going through the years and looking at films that I just hadn't thought about in a while, maybe that's what it was. But that would always be, I think, top of the list to go on, in, like to be next. It'd be like if we did the top twenty-one <laughs> <laughs> at the time. That one would have 100% been in there.
0: Yeah. And then for me, I think this is where the next two films I think are going to differ. I would put Monos and Cold War in there. Uh, for me, those are both incredibly unique and incredibly well-made films that I don't have a problem with either of them. I think Monos is an acquired taste and I could understand why people wouldn't put it in. But for me, I think Monos is superb, um, and the same thing with Cold War. I just both of them. I can't sit down and say, uh, "Oh, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that." I think they're both just near flawless films for what they do to me. So I think that's I think that's my four. I would replace.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I uh, obviously I haven't seen Monos, so I can't say whether I'd put it in or not. I will watch it as
0: soon as <laughs> possible. In two years'
1: time. Uh, I'm not. I know you're bigger on Cold War than I am and I wouldn't put it in there. Uh, to me, it was shot beautifully and what you said about it, you know, being such a short run time and just going across so many years quite effortlessly, that is very good. Uh, to me, that was the only thing that stood out to me. It wasn't like across the board, it was perfect, but um, I think a film that I would have to put in after re it as well is Social Network. Mm. I don't know whether it's partly because it, it feels very important for the time now with uh, well, the past 10 years. It's just, I know this isn't a define, it's the best, but I still think it's the best. I think I forget, I forgot how just sharp Sorkin is at writing um, and Fincher's direction, sort of accompanying that. And the performances, it's just so slick, fast paced, brutal uh, with its words and, that opening scene is just such so fantastic dialogue wise. Yeah. Um, I Some personally would put best. that in. Yeah, I would personally put Social Network in. In terms of a fourth one, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I mean, think I'd probably, Sorry, I'd probably consider uh, The Handmaiden. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but, or very close would be. The hunt as well.
0: Yeah, I thought I thought you'd say the hunt. I actually thought you might throw Fruitvale Station in there.
1: Yeah, it's Um, weird. I was just I was just thinking that I probably I don't think I would put it in there. mm. But the hunt and the Handmaiden are definitely two I'd consider putting in there as well.
0: I think one I would consider too is Sicario. I think Sicario is um, it's just so good. If we hadn't already put in most of Villeneuve's filmography, it could have <laughs> probably gone in there.
1: In terms of what I would replace, I think the four that we've mentioned and sort of the films that we think we'd put in as well, I think I'm pretty set on that, to be honest. Yeah, uh, nothing I else. Love, I love I love that we've done this honourable mentions, you know, because it's such a great decade. Yeah, it um, is. We've said many, many times that we adore a lot of movies from this decade. And, you know, it's the decade where we started watching movies. So, of course, we're going to love films from it as well. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, it's nice to look back and think about movies that we, you know, started the year so high on and maybe we wouldn't put them in. So, yeah, maybe we could come it's back something. in, like, another year. <laughs>
0: I I think it'd be really interesting to look back at this in like 10 years time and see what films actually stuck with us because it'd be really interesting to look back especially at this honourable mentions and be like did you actually remember anything about this film or this film or this one?" there's certain certain films I know will stick with me Um, and there's certain films like I think one for example was Captain Fantastic that I will look at I reckon I'm going to look at in 5-10 years time and be like oh yeah that was that quirky indie film I really liked (laughs) <laughs> it's still a really yeah. really good film but there's so many films in this decade, there's so, ch- and we've we've watched a lot, when you say that this is the decade that we watched film, it's the one where we've watched as much as possible, you know we've watched, yeah, I mean of course, yeah. this honourable mentions isn't, isn't, isn't like just every film that we've watched and I mean there's plenty of films that we could have still put on this list um, but we didn't want to talk for three hours which we nearly have <laughs>
1: <laughs> um yeah I think you know obviously we spend a lot of time watching movies that maybe like really famous movies that we haven't watched from god knows how long ago but we're always going to be surrounded by movies that you know that are like in the now like we went to the cinema a lot when we were at uni and stuff so we've obviously seen a lot and uh so it's a good decade to do this kind of list on and if we Absolutely. did it in 10 years uh, I'm sure it'd be even better. Absolutely. If we're still friends in 10 years if we're still alive in 10 years who knows?
0: Yeah. Yeah. One
1: of true. Us could be dead.
0: I hope so. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to our best films of the two thousand and tens, the entire decade. It's been a long while getting here. This is what the third podcast we've done on this. There's a lot of films in yeah. this decade. As we said, it's been a there really is. great decade. Um If you go to reviewing dot um, you know you can check out all our articles and reviews that we've written, but right near the top of the page is the pinned article, so you can read what we thought of each film. We've talked about them a little bit more in depth, and then the Honourable Mentions list is even longer than what we've spoken about now. We've skipped some films, but there's some really, really great films on there that we haven't t- spoken about, just because it would take up too much time, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, you can go there, you can check out all of our reviews and lists on everything else as well. Um I say, I hope you enjoy listening. You can check uh, me at me out, uh, Philson Wilson on Twitter. What's your at? Uh,
1: my at is cospjord.
0: There you go. And then we're at Rural Viewing on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, make sure you subscribe so you can listen to the next one. I hope you enjoyed.